Stand up and say hello to each other this morning. Greet one another. Introduce yourselves just for a few minutes. That'd be great. i 
See you. 
That is a name that we should be crying out to every day, Father, because you are our good Father. And just in your name, Father, it sets our hearts right. It takes everything and puts it in the proper perspective, Father, knowing that you are a good Father, that you love us, that you gave us a way to be intimate and to be connected to you. I just thank you, Father, that you have bonded all of us together in love and that we are your children together. And not only your children, but we are brothers and sisters here. And God, help us, Father, to just love you and love one another, Lord, that would put a smile on your heart, face. We love you, love you. stories of old they think you're like but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are
you to have a seat for this next song. Go ahead and have a seat. This is the song of surrender, and I just wanted you guys to be able to take the load off your feet and really sing this as a prayer and a praise to God and take some time to surrender everything to him.
holds me now. Your grace holds me now. Your grace holds me now. Your grace holds me now. Healed and forgiven. Look where my chains are now. Abba, Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Lord God, we're a big family, multiple cultures, multiple languages, all sorts of different ages. Lord God, we thank you that there is one body in Jesus Christ, and you call us your children through faith in Christ. We thank you, God, that you've adopted us. You've called us your own. You've chosen us. And so, God, we're thankful for that great privilege of being in your family, being your sons and daughters. And, Lord God, we thank you that through Christ Jesus, his death on the cross, his death, his resurrection, Lord God, we have eternal life. Thank you for loving us so much that you would give us your only son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus. We thank you, God, for who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Father, for the life and the hope and the peace that you bring us. We're grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit in us, guaranteeing our inheritance, co-heirs with Christ, even now. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. We owe you everything. And, Lord, it's a wonder that you tell us that we can call you Abba, Daddy, with intimacy. That is a tremendous gift that the world does not know without Jesus. Thank you so much. You're the love of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the children are now free to head down the hallway for Sunday school, and Gabe is there with middle and high school youth. They can head down the hallway too with them. Good to see you guys. Yeah, if you're a guest this morning, feel free to go down the hallway with your kids and make sure they feel right at home. For those of us that are remaining in the sanctuary, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to do a little bit of, of background work here before we even read the text. How many of you found where the word adoption was hiding in these verses. I, asked, I mentioned that last Sunday. Maybe a few of you did. Congratulations. I assume most of us don't because we're all like that, aren't we? Yeah, I heard what he said. But there is the word adoption hiding in there. The reason you don't see it in the NIV is because it's typically translated in the Greek as sons of the father. And we'll get to how that plays out and why that reads that way. And uh, it's fascinating to me, this whole field of adoption. As you know, I was adopted... Uh, at a couple months old. Thank you, Cora and John Martin, for getting me out of Spokane and uh, bringing me west of the mountains. I appreciate that very much and still do. 
and all the family and all the good love we had there. Uh, also, we adopted Mary and Karen, and Mary met her birth mom yesterday, who had also been adopted. So, man, talk about the adoption scheme throughout. My family's really full of adoptions. So uh, we're grateful for that, and it's been good. I also, I won't be here next Sunday because I'm meeting three half-sisters I've never met before. Same father, all different mothers. How's that sound like for fun? Uh, we're hoping the trauma will be minimal and that we'll have just a great time. We'll be in Newport. We're renting a house together. And uh, it'll be the first time we've actually spoken and ever seen each other. Um, so I covet your prayers for that. Uh, thankfully, Jenny will go with me, so she'll do most of the talking, as you know. And uh, it'll all smooth over and turn out great, right? So, uh, and, and I stay behind her very closely, as you know that, too. So it keeps me good, deep cover, I call it. So we're grateful. Um, so adoption is something that I'm very familiar with, personally and relationally, and many of you are too. I'm just curious, how many of us have been adopted here in the church this morning? Mary's taking, my daughter, our daughter Mary's down the hallway with our grandsons right now. Hopefully she'll untangle herself, she and her husband, and we'll be back up here shortly. How many of us have been adopted? I've been adopted, one, two, three, about three or four of us, that's fine. And if Mary and Karen were here, there'd be a couple more hands up. Um, I got some statistics for you. 7% of Americans have been adopted. That's 4.5 million people. 4.5 million people, uh, including our, those of us here this morning. 2 to 4% of American families have adopted children. 33% of American families have thought about it. Today, there are over 400,000 children in foster care in America. 117,000 are waiting to be adopted. One to two million American families are trying to adopt, but it can take years, absolutely years. And uh, a lot of them are overseas adoptions and others which are wonderful. We appreciate that very much. Um, adoptions can be expensive today as well. I think looking back, uh, we spent $7,000 when we adopted Mary. We spent $10,000 when we adopted Karen. So $17,000, uh, we had both Mary and Karen. Today, however, the cost is between twenty dollars and $40,000 per adoption. So it's no picnic. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. If you adopt a child through the Department of, um, of uh, DHS, uh, Human Services, it's free. But otherwise, you're paying for lawyers and medical expenses and others. And uh, they do all this background check. You know, when, you, when you, have your, you give birth to your natural children, you know, nobody comes to your home and gives you parent training. Don't you wish? Nobody does criminal background checks on your spouse. Sometimes, don't you wish? Right? Um, nobody does home and family evaluations, and again, don't you wish? But when you adopt, they do all the, those sorts of things, and then those are extra measures that are taken, and it just takes time. What many of us may not realize or appreciate, and I want to bring us to the point where we appreciate adoption in a greater and deeper and richer way because every single believer in Jesus Christ has been adopted by our Heavenly Father. And when you realize the meaning of it and the depth of it and the security of it, I think you'll be as amazed and in awe of being adopted by God as I was this last week in preparation. I was blown away. I know what adoption is. I know how it feels. I know what it's like. But the adoption by my Heavenly Father is different. It's a little bit different. And I want to bring that out for us, and I want to explain what that's all about before we get there. 
Um, verse 15 in our, our section here, as we'll read it shortly in a little bit here, the key word for adoption is the word sonship in verse 15, if you're digging around trying to figure out where's this adoption piece. In Greek, it literally means adoption. To adopt means this, to choose. That's what adoption means, to choose. It's a choice that's made. It's not done by accident or happenstance. It was a willful, intentional desire that I want to have a family, and I want you, you, in my family. That's what adoption literally means. When I was adopted, I was two months old by mom and dad. When I was a little bit older, I discovered that God had adopted me. I've been adopted twice. And all of us have been adopted, if we know Jesus Christ, at least once. So when I said, how many of you have been adopted this morning, how many hands should go up? Well, in a spiritual sense, every believer in Jesus Christ has been adopted. You all have hands in the air. And if you really understand the breadth and depth and the power of being adopted by the Father, you'd have both hands in the air. And you'd be jumping up out of your seats. Me too. It's amazing. And we'll, we'll hit that in just a second. Now, if Paul would have written a letter to the Jerusalem church, he would not have mentioned adoption because in the Jewish world, there's an emphasis on genetics, an, an emphasis on the family lines, and that's what they understood. Did they know adoption? Yes, but it wasn't as prevalent in their thinking or in their legal structure. However, Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. And in that church in Rome, they understood Greco-Roman law on adoption. And so because they had this special understanding about adoption in the Greco-Roman first century world, so we have to kind of set aside modern thoughts, in the first century, they knew adoption in a special way. And Paul then, knowing they would understand the concept and the, the legal and the familial connections that adoption brings, chooses to use the word adoption when he writes to the church in Rome. And it would have been like dynamite going off. Immediately they knew the context, they knew the law, and they knew by experience what that meant. And I want to bring that now to light so that we, before we read the text, can understand what they knew before they read the letter that we need to know before we read these verses. They'll come to light and jump out at us if we do. Back then, Roman law allowed the father of the family to dismiss a child at any time. For instance, a child could decide when a baby was born whether or not the family was going to keep it. And immediately you could say, this child is mine, I've, I've, I'm going to keep this child in my family, and the child would be raised in that family. However, the father also could say, I don't want this child in the family for whatever reason, and they would have two choices. They could have that child placed at designated places within the city of Rome, kind of like dropping a baby off at the hospital or fire station or something like that. You know that baby will be found, and you could leave the child clothed or unclothed. Clothed meant you hope somebody picks this baby up and takes them as their own. Unclothed is sort of a neutral place of, well, 
If they live, they live. If they die, they die. There didn't seem to be much of a connection. But you would leave that baby on a special spot. Maybe it was a bridge. Maybe it was some other public place. And by the way, the early Christian communities were picking up those babies. That's one of the ways the church grew in that region, was compassion for the lost and the, the lonely and the disenfranchised or whatever. They, these are the people that the church had a tender heart for, and the church grew. They adopted all those kids. Now, they also could leave a baby outside the city. And if you left a baby outside the city, it could be in the fields, it could be in the woods, it could be anywhere. And you could leave that baby clothed, which meant that maybe they'll be found, but probably they're going to die. Or you could leave that baby unclothed, like Emperor Claudius did apparently at one point, to, to ensure that that baby would die. That's what they could do, and it was all understood. Now, adoption also had power. Here's the kicker. This is what really sent me off into the, wow, God, you're amazing. An adopted child has more rights than a natural child in Roman law. If, for instance, Jenny and I are raising biological kids, and my son is going to inherit my family chariot business. And I'm fairly wealthy. I make some of the best chariots in town. Ivory inlays, special greased wheels, the whole bit. And I'm doing really well. But my son is a bit of an income poop. He spends money like crazy. He's the prodigal kid. He's going to ruin the business. He has no interest. I can disown him. I can take him out of the will. I can take him out of the business. I can remove him from the family. I have that power as the father of the house. However, if I adopted a boy or a girl, I can never do that to them. I've chosen. That's what adoption means. And it's all very legal. So if I choose a son or a daughter to be my son or my daughter, they are. And I can never disenfranchise them. I can never disinherit them. I can never write them out of the will. They are co-heirs with me the very second I adopt them. That is what the Roman church understood in the first century when Paul says, we've been adopted by our Heavenly Father. Think about the implications of what that means. The weight of it, the power of it, the significance. So let's look a little bit further. When you adopt a child, they were given a totally new identity. Totally new identity. All prior commitments and all prior connections ended. All prior debt released. Isn't that cool? Right. That's really neat. New rights and responsibilities they were given for the rest of their lives. Privilege. The inheritance wasn't when their parents died. In Roman law, your inheritance starts the moment your family, your co-heirs, with dad and mom and all your siblings, share and share alike. And we'll get to that and what that means. So with that background now, that understanding of adoption in the first century in the Roman world, which the people would have understood when they got this letter, let's hear what Paul writes in verses 14 to 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption 
That's the word. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's power there that they would have just jumped out of their chairs and said, Wow! Abba! This is cool! Of course, that's me talking. I don't know they said cool back then, but you know what I mean. This is an exciting affirmation of their security in the family with greater weight and authority behind it than even a natural birth. This is a super natural event that God guarantees and ensures. That's what he's saying in all these letters. First of all, then, in your outlines, let's go back and look at it bit by bit. First of all, God's children are led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Remember, he was tempted by the devil there in the, in the desert. He, but he was led by the Holy Spirit, and he followed. In Luke 10.21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. There's all this connectivity. Philip, in Acts 8, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip didn't know why, but he did. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Peter was also led by the Spirit. In Acts 11, the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. Christians at the church in Antioch were also led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So there's that specific leading. I remember one time in seminary we had a special class on prayer and listening to God, and I was down in this room with a bunch of us, and we were at a table of about five people, and all they asked us to do was pray and just wait on the Lord to see if anything came through, whatever it might be, if God chose to speak to us in some fashion. Then afterwards, we would share with each other what it was that the Spirit put on our mind. And for me, I felt kind of dumb. I, I've sat there thinking, it's kind of like the static on a TV, you know, I didn't get much. And then all of a sudden, I got this impression of a woman and a baby. And uh, afterwards, I said, well, I, I wasn't going to say anything because it doesn't mean anything. I don't know what it means. I, all I got was a woman and a baby. And a lady, a uh, woman across the table from me burst into tears. Nose ran, tears ran down her eyes. She was a sobbing, sopping mess, and not a one of us had a Kleenex or a anything. We, there was no way to clean her up except shirt sleeves, and it was just, she was just beside herself and it turned out that when she was younger her mother had made her have an abortion and she had never felt forgiven by God and it just wounded her and here's this image and I didn't know what it meant but it meant something to her and by being able to verbalize it what did the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit allowed us to remind her about God's grace and forgiveness and love and that she was accepted in the family. She's my sister in Jesus in great pain. And it's because we've been adopted by God that he's not going to let her go. And it was a wonderful Holy Spirit-led moment where we could minister to her. Did we have a clue two seconds before that happened? Not a clue. 
I felt stupid even bringing it up. I thought the rest of them were going to say, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to us either. Let's move on. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought so. But God took it and did things with it that uh, are unimaginable to me. You just never know. Now, having said all that, this is not what Paul means. Because many of us, when we read this, led by the Spirit, think we're, we're encountering those specific moments just like that. What he means instead is tied to last Sunday's sermon, the text prior to this. He is saying, what is your life's orientation? Where's the direction that orients you, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions? Where does this take you? And this is what Paul's getting at. He's not talking about a sinless life. He's not talking about specific instances where you can point and say, yeah, that was definitely the Holy Spirit told me to do this or go there or do that. That's not it. What he's saying is, do you live a life that loves God and hates sin? He's not talking about sinlessness. He's not talking about never doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. He's just talking about an orientation. Do I want to love God? Yes. Do I always succeed in loving God and neighbor? No. Well, I'm like a kid. Have you ever raised a child that did it all the time, right, all the time? Did they drive you just a little bit crazy? Did I drive my parents just a little bit crazy? I'm being nice now. A little bit is a minimalist way of saying probably a lot. We're like that, but we're still family. We're adopted. There's no getting away from it. We're in. And God is patient, long-suffering, forever loving us, keeping us, preserving us, sustaining us. And when we finally meet God face to face, I think that's when God wipes away every tear from our eyes. And I kind of wonder if it's not tears of joy or tears of, wow, God, your grace is more amazing than I could have ever imagined. Having met the Holy One, right? This is going to be an amazing moment. But that's what God does. And I sort of picture him like, I used, you know, the old pictures of sitting on Santa's lap. I sort of picture God the Father just putting me right on his knee and saying, it's okay, Bruce. Welcome home, son. This is the kind of thing the Scripture brings out. And when Paul talks about these things led by the Spirit, it's a sign for us that we are children of God because we have an orientation inside of us, internal to us, that wants to love God back. That motivates us to confess sin, that motivates us to repent, who allows us to come back to God despite our, if, if we've walked away from God and lived like hell on earth, we can still as children come back to the Father knowing that being adopted by God, we are never cast out. What did God do, the Father do when the prodigal son came home? After blowing his inheritance, remember he's co-heirs, he's, he's entitled, so he takes all that stuff, he goes and blows it, he ends up feeding pigs and he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go home. And in his mind, he's thinking, I'm only going to be God's slave or not the father's slave in this story. But really, you know, you go home and think, I'm not going to ever add up to being a son or daughter of God. I've been too bad. I've been too off the kill. I'm, God will never let me back. But I'll be a slave in his house. He goes back and he says, God, I've sinned. I've blown it. And the father cuts him off before he says, I'm only fit to be your slave. No way. Bring out the robe. Bring out the ring. Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. My son was lost. Now he's found. Move on. 
That's power. That's love. That's the endurance of God that puts up with a lot of stuff from us. But that's the love of the Father. That's the Abba that we can pray to and enjoy. So what are you mostly motivated by? What's your attitude? What's your actions? What, what is internal? If you love the Father and you want to do what the Lord wants you to do, then that's a great sign you're a child of God because you're led by the Holy Spirit and not by coercion, but a love of God. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, and notice Jesus is where? In. There's like a heart change, a desire. Nobody makes you. You want to. That Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. How do we know we're believers in Jesus? Well, for one thing, we can say so. We can believe it. But as a test of whether or not that's a shallow religious movement or activity on our part is to say, where's your heart? If the Spirit is in you, you're a child of God. Then secondly, adoption is divine salvation. Praise the Lord. Verses 15 to 16. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a widespread notion, and, we, and it's widely casually said, that we're all children of God which is meant, I think, to convey that no matter what your religious belief is, no matter what you put your trust in, we're all going to heaven and we're all going to sit down with our heavenly daddy and we're all going to be a big family and all roads lead to Rome and everybody's saved and let's just get along and we're all children of God and that's not true. The Bible never, never refers to the lost as children of God. Loved by God, created in the image of God, Dearly, dearly loved that Jesus would die on the cross for the world that was opposed to him because God does not want to lose any one of us. But until we're adopted by the Father, we are not children of God. That's a special place that God describes his choosing. Because remember, what's the root word in adoption? To choose. To choose. And God has chosen us in Christ Jesus. And that is a tremendous Tremendous gift. Romans 9, later on, coming up in the next chapter, Paul writes this. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children. Do you see that? It's not the natural children who are God's children. It doesn't happen just willy-nilly. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. How does that work? How does Paul write it in Romans? You're saved by faith from first to last. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's the adoption agency that the Spirit brings to life in us. So how can we become children of the promise? How can we be in the family of faith and to become a son or daughter of the Lord if we're not already? Well, to the Jews, Jesus referred to being born from above or born again. The Spirit moves. The Spirit blows wherever it wills. We don't know where it was coming from. We don't know where the Spirit will go next. But we see the effects, and that birthing of the living Spirit in us is what assures our salvation, and the Holy Spirit resides within us as a consequence. 
It's an act of God on our behalf choosing us, but the words are born from above or born again. That's, that would be the Jewish understanding. Paul refers to it as adoption, a choosing again and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that God loves us very, very much. So what did the Roman Christians understand then when they read this? Just a little recap. First of all, you are irrevocably included in God's family. Remember, adopted kids could never be disenfranchised or removed from the will or kicked out of the family or kicked to the curb. That was a choice you made. That's a choice for life. Did God choose us in Christ Jesus? Yes. Are we then irrevocably sons and daughters of Jesus Christ? Father, a father in heaven, co-heirs with Christ? Yes. Even when we're crabby and ornery and, and resistant and acting up and telling God to take a hike? Yes. Absolutely. I still remember one time when, when my mom, sorry mom, mom was irritated with me one time, says, I'd like to throw all you kids back in the water. Well, has anybody ever felt that way? But it didn't happen because we're family, thick and thin. And this is what's so amazing about God's grace and his adoptive choosing. He'll never cast you out. Remember what Jesus said? All those the Father gives me, I'll never let go, ever. Isn't that awesome? That's the assurance of our salvation. It doesn't depend upon our performance. It depends upon the love of the Father for you and for me. He chose you in Christ Jesus. If you know this, then you have eternal security, not in your goodness, but in the loving grace and mercy of our Father who loves you, has chosen you, has called you son or daughter. That is the best. There's power. All prior commitments and connections are gone. The old is gone, the new has come. All prior debts are completely erased. What were our prior debts? Sin. All of our sin is erased. We don't owe God. New rights and responsibilities now and forever. Yes, we have responsibilities. We have an obligation. We talked about that last Sunday. We want to love God back. We want to celebrate and show our loyalty and our adoration and our worship and our giving and our service and all the things that go with it. We want to honor God. We want to magnify God so the world can see God more clearly and what it means to be a real son or daughter of Christ, in Christ Jesus of God. It's a great gift that we can bring to the world to understand. And also, we're co-heirs with Jesus. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. What does it mean to be a co-heir? You know, I've, I've been in situations where families have sued each other over inheritances. There, when I was in the Army working in the CCU unit at Madigan Army Medical Center, there was a nurse that I was working with, and she was in the middle of a lawsuit with her siblings because they couldn't agree after their parents died who got how much of what. And so they went to court, and I'm sure the lawyers took the majority of it, and they were left with a pittance but, and a few black eyes and hurt feelings and destruction. This is nonsense when you talk about co-heirs. Remember when I said that in Roman law, when you're adopted into that family and you've been chosen, 
you are immediately co-heirs. Co-heir means everybody equally owns everything. It's not like shares. You get 10 shares, you get five shares, you get one share. Everybody is the heir of everything. Has Christ been raised from the grave? Yes. Will you be? Yes. Does Christ have eternal life inherent in him? Yes. Will you have eternal life? Well, yes. Everything about Jesus, we're co-heirs with him. Except we won't be divine gods and goddesses, right? We, got, we hopefully understand that very clearly. But we're all blessed by God. New heaven and new earth, wonderful relationship, intimacy with the Father, all of that is there. We're co-heirs with Christ Jesus now. It's a gift. So why does he mention Abba and Father? Abba is the Aramaic form of the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for dad is Ab. Remember the Abraham? You ever heard of him? Abraham? Ab Abram? Abraham? Abraham. Abraham means the father. It was an ironic word, Abram, because he was the father of nobody. <laughs> until he and uh, his wife got an idea that maybe God was going to work through Hagar, and then Ishmael was born. And we, uh, If you read the story, that was a, an absolute mess. God renamed him Abraham, the father of many nations, our spiritual father. That's the Hebrew word. The Aramaic is Abba, Abba. So when Paul writes, he's using the words that Jesus would have used. He would have said Abba, and then he gives us the Greek form, pater, P-A-T-E-R. It means father. So we're getting both Aramaic and Greek, and it means the same thing. Abba, father. We can pray that way. It's an intimate, tender, trusting, devoted, loving, respectful name for dad. How many of you feel comfortable praying to God the Father and saying, dad? Or daddy. That's a reach for many of us because it seems too informal, too intimate, too presumptive that I could call my creator daddy? Ah. But we're missing something if we don't. We're missing the intimacy. We're missing the fact that we are in fact adopted by our father and we are now children in his house. And we are allowed and in fact encouraged to say Abba. What's really interesting in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, it sounds very formal and high churchy, and our Father who art in heaven, so far removed that, well, I don't feel that connected. That's not what it can mean. It's pater. It can also, I'm assuming, be also said our Abba, our Daddy who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. There's a real intimacy in the Lord's Prayer that we can formalize too much. I want to show you a little video now of a woman in Israel who heard, it's a real short clip, but he's, she's explaining what Abba meant to her. She's learned to say is Dada. The relationship between parent and child is so important. And when I first moved to Israel, I remember it moved my heart when I heard kids yelling Abba to their dads. And 
Romans 8 started opening up in a whole new way, that Abba, Abba Father, is a relational, deep connection that we get to have with God. And God says, call me Daddy, because when you're adopted, you are a child of God. And he says, I want to have that intimate, loving, personal, engaging relationship with you. Not something out there. Not an idea. Not some sovereign king who's remote that we can't approach, that we can't really be honest and transparent with. We are his kids. What parent doesn't want their kid to be open and honest and tell them everything? Come on, tell me the truth. I love you no matter what. Don't you want that intimacy with your own family? This is similar to what God is inviting us to have. Don't be so formal that we can't approach. For instance, if I want to go ask my mom a question, I don't tell somebody, I'm going to go ask the mother what she thinks. That's weird. I'm going to go ask mom what she thinks. So when we talk about the Father in heaven, Let's go a little bit deeper and more richly with that. Allow yourself to have an intimacy with the very one who says, you can call me daddy. And you are really my son or daughter in Christ Jesus. That's the coolest thing on the planet. And I think we miss it too much. We formalize things. Yes, God is high and lifted up. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's king. He's the Lord of all creation. There is the respect and awe of God, yes, in worship. But isn't it amazing that God says, but please don't miss out calling me daddy? Nah, we don't want to miss out. That's a real sweet spot with God. And we are the only faith on the planet that has that kind of intimacy with our creator. Nobody else calls the father daddy. And God says, please do, Daddy. Jesus called God Abba when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14. Abba, Daddy, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And we can have that same intimacy with God. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How many of you this morning have an inexpressible joy in the Lord in you? You know, sometimes we're dry. Sometimes it feels a little bit flat. Sometimes we feel like we haven't been paying attention. But you know what? When you get back to the grassroots of it, there's an inexpressible joy. There's like a, an utter confidence that as a son or daughter of their heavenly father, you're safe. Remember one time at the Miracle Ranch where uh, somebody we know particularly is the main wrangler out there this year. It's really cool. Morgan Decorius is at that camp that I was at for many, many years as a kid. So it's really kind of fun for me to hear about that. But in that camp one time, uh, mom and dad were late picking me up. And all the other kids had been picked up, and they were on their own time schedule, and they came eventually. But here's this kid, standing at the end of the road, 
looking down the drive as you come up. It's dirt then. I don't know if it still is, but dirt drive. And it's feeling lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. And then they finally came up, picked me up, and took me home. And it was such a relief. I thought I'd been left out in the cold, and she, they weren't coming. These little, little kids, you know, they all, maybe I'm the only one. But I had that feeling, and Mom and Dad said, why were you worried about us? Of course we were going to come and pick you up. And I feel there's an analogy there with our relationship with God the Father. Sometimes God seems late to the game, slow to respond, far and distant. But you know what? We can always count on him. Our daddy is always there, and we can trust him. That has seen me through life's ups and downs. That has been my assurance that I am a human being loved and secured because I've been adopted by God. How about you? That's God's gift for us this morning, and I hope that we'll take some time to meditate on what it means to be adopted. What does it mean? means a lot and then I want to give you a little homework try this see see if you can get past the formality of prayer try praying with Abba in your prayer knowing it means daddy you may not have ever done that but we're asked to do this in the scriptures you're given permission do call me Abba Give it a try. You'll see that your intimacy with God will grow because it's such an intimate, intimate word to use. Then lastly, we're co-heirs with Christ forever. Verse 17, now for children and we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And I've already talked to you about what co-heir means. It means that the entire pie, not just a slice of the pie, belongs to all of us. Uh, certain Christians that have made big names and, and done big evangelistic events aren't going to get a bigger estate. In fact, if we read Revelations correctly, in my, or Jesus' words in John, in my Father's house are many rooms. The rooms are added onto rooms, added onto rooms. What it means is there's community, family. We're not distant from each other. We're not waving through the mansion window way across the pasture past all of our horses to the next mansion we see a tiny little figure waving back this is all meant to say we're family forever in Christ Jesus we have community and fellowship with each other so when God adopted us we were immediately filled with the Holy Spirit co-heirs with Christ and the Holy Spirit is the assurance that God gives us of our salvation and our adoption that we are who we are in Christ Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 and 13 to 14 says this. In love, he predestined us to be what? Isn't this cool? Adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Was God pleased? Or was he grumpy? Oh, not you. Okay, whatever. You've been banging on the door for so long, I guess so. No, he's pleased. He's thrilled. And he wills. He chooses. This is so cool to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing 
our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Who do you belong to? You belong to your father. You mess with a Christian, you mess with the father. When Saul was persecuting the church, what did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians? Does that sound strange to you? It should say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You mess with a brother or sister, you mess with our big brother. Don't do it. Right? It's family, and God takes special notice to the praise of his glory. And it's so cool to be adopted by God. It is so cool. It is so wonderful. How many of you are just a little bit excited about being adopted too? Isn't that awesome? You are a child chosen by God, and you'll never be let go. That gives a lot of us hope when we've seen somebody we know and love drift away from the faith and live in the world for a while. But we know that no matter what behaviors they have, no matter what attitudes they tend to keep, no matter what issues they're bringing to light, you know what? God is at work and loves them very dearly. And we've got to keep praying for them to revive them. And what about the application? Well, first of all, there's eternal security in salvation, right? We've got that assurance. So if you feel rejected by God, that's the devil tempting you to think that you aren't adopted at all or that your adoption doesn't really mean what it does mean, security. Don't fall for that temptation. Maybe you've experienced times where you didn't fit into a group. How many of us have ever felt that? Lois Weiler, when I was first here, we were talking about small groups. She, she passed away a long time ago. I sat in her living room. She said something to me I'll never forget. She said, Bruce, water finds its own level. You know, you, you just don't click with everybody all on the same wavelength. Different people have different uh, what, experiences and, and interests. Sports might be over here, the non-sports crowd over there. Where will you see me at the Super Bowl Sunday time? Well, I'm usually not at a Super Bowl party unless there's food, right? Then I'm in, and I watch the commercials and the game only if it's interesting. This is, we're all wired differently, and she was quite right. Water finds its own level, but that is only true in our interpersonal relationships, and we cannot confuse that with God. We're all dearly loved, and we have that love in common. And I think that also says, let's love each other, too. I still remember the, a great sermon that was preached in Brazil at a soccer stadium. Every seat was full. Massive mega church. The pastor stands up. Now, you'd think the pastor has something tremendous to say. I mean, how come so many people are filling that stadium? He stands up. Everybody's ready. He says this. Love one another. And he sat down. Everybody went, what? That's it? That's all we came for? The word? That's it? The next Sunday, he stands up. Apparently, you didn't get the message last Sunday. Love one another. And he sat down. That makes absolute sense when we understand we're all children of the Father. We're all sons and daughters. Water finds its own level, yes, relationally and oh, certainly. And like children, everybody has their ups and downs. But love covers a multitude of sins, right? And love is the predominant feature of a living, breathing, spirit-filled, spirit-led, oriented to the Father Church. 
Love conquers everything. It's a gift that we can give. I remember when Karen was in grade school, she really startled both of us one time. Karen comes home from grade school and she says to Jenny, and again, they always asked her for the deeper, richer questions. I was either gone or they avoided me. They don't want to know. So they says to mom, mom, when are you and dad going to get divorced? I thought, what is she picking up on? Are we, you know, like, are we, are we behaving back? It turned out that all of her friends in elementary school, their parents were getting divorced. So she assumed naturally that her parents would eventually be like everybody else and get divorced too. She just wanted to know the timeline. How far off is this? We said, no. I mean, in our house, we love each other, and we know the divorces happen and that, but in our house, this isn't the case. Sometimes we get caught up in the world around us and we think God is like the world that we see. What does adoption mean in that first century context? When God chooses you, you're his son or daughter forever. That is a wonderful message. Total security. And then at the end it says, if you indeed share in his sufferings, what that means is, when our orientation in life is geared to the Holy Spirit and we love the Father and we love to share the good news of Jesus Christ and live out that life ethically, how does the world respond? Opposition. They want, the own, they want their own liberties. They want their own choices. They feel like we're taking away their choices if we speak out in ethics. And in fact, we're giving them more liberty they just don't realize it than ever. What we can do is stay in step with the Spirit, and we will suffer on some level for it. And he says, that's a sign that you are following Christ. Now, don't go out looking for trouble. Trouble will find you. But if you're really living for Jesus, you'll find yourself not walking in step with the world, but out of step with sin, and that causes problems. Good ones for God to deal with, but it's sometimes hard for us. Make the right choices. Hebrews 2, 10 to 13, we'll close with these words and then we'll sing our closing hymn. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, he died on the cross. It's not saying Jesus was imperfect, it just means that he fulfilled the mission that he was sent on. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Isn't that interesting, family? So Jesus is not ashamed to call them what? Brothers and sisters, of course. Brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and what? What are the words? And the children, interestingly enough, and the children God has given me. The closing hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And the reason that we're going to close with this hymn is because Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. It just is so fitting. And I, I, I can't speak highly enough for how excited I am to realize again the language that Paul chose to use, led by the Holy Spirit, understood in the first century context, I hope that has just exploded in your minds. And I really want us to try to do something as an experiment, at least for a while. Pray using the word Abba 
somewhere in your prayers. And I tell you, when I did that this week, my, I felt an intimacy with God. I felt it, and not just in the words. And I, my prayer is that you will too. If you don't know if you're adopted by God or not, or you think, gosh, you know, how do I, how do I see myself in that context? Am I in or am I out? Do I like this or not? It, it's a wonderful gift that God gives us in Christ Jesus, and everybody's invited and maybe this morning is the first time you've heard about this adoption and what it means to be a child of God and how wonderful it really is. There is a way to open up your heart to receive that gift, and that's to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of my sins. Remember Paul said when you heard the gospel? You believed it. The good news, that's what gospel means, is that Christ did die, that he paid my debt, and that through my trust in Jesus... I know now that I have been adopted by God. And you have eternal life. It's not complicated. In fact, that's why I love the gospel so much. It's what God has done for us, not what we've done for God. And we're the only religion on the planet that says God did it, not us. That is so awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm going to pause here shortly. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we are who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the wonder of adoption. It's amazing. And we thank you, God, that all believers in Christ around the world are our brothers and sisters. Big family. Big. More than we could count. And God, we thank you that the family is open. Open for more family. For more. It's, it's a wonderful gift that you've given us in Christ Jesus. And if anybody here this morning feels called by your Holy Spirit and nudged, and they're like, you know... I would like to be that child of God too. Just tell the Lord that you trust him now, right now, and that you believe that Christ did in fact die on the cross for your forgiveness of your sins, that your debt has been paid, and that love, thank you God for love, that you love me, that you died for me, and that you rose from the grave for me. And being a co-heir with Jesus, now I realize how loved I am and I have eternal life forever and ever, and that I have a really big family now that I'm a part of. And Lord, most of all, thank you for the security. Thank you for choosing. Thank you, God, that we are who we are in Christ Jesus now and forever. In your name we love you, Abba, Daddy. <laughs> thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing.
spot on. I'm going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer, but just this one time, just to kind of get us going a little bit, instead of saying, Our Father who art in heaven, which in Greek would be pater, why don't we this time say Abba, Daddy, okay? Just everybody's on the same page. It'll seem strange to many of you, but we are invited by God to be that intimate. We are. So just this time, let's try that together. Our Abba, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of Abba, our Abba, and the wonderful sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all now and forevermore, and God guaranteed it. And all of God's people could say, Amen. God bless you. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Enjoy each other's company. God bless. Have a great week.